episode is brought to you by thehempjar.com. You know, CBD oil is everywhere. Gas stations, pillows, I've even seen it on pizza. It's hard to figure out where to start or what's even good. Neuroscientists and doctors are discovering that the more compounds in hemp or oil products, the more synergistic balance one can obtain. That's why products from the hemp jar contain every natural compound, about 480, not just the handful that common CBD oil provides. TheHempJar.com delivers the whole genetic code of the plant and delivers it right to your front door. Feel the difference by going to TheHempJar.com and entering in promo code CANNABINERDS10 for 10% off any order. Every natural compound giving the most relief for you and your wallet. TheHempJar.com, in its most natural form. On today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Ben Kaplan, the founder and chief medical officer at the Seed Foundation. That's C-E-D Foundation. What I really enjoy about Dr. Kaplan is his honest and humble demeanor despite all the knowledge he obtains, and it's a lot. And the fact you may pick up on is that he just wants to help people, plain and simple. We need more people like him in the medical community advocating and researching cannabis that actually helps people. But enough of my rambling, let's get to the interview. Here is Dr. Ben Kaplan. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to another fabulous episode. I'm David, I have Rachel over here with me and that makes this... Cannabinoids. Cannabinoids, <laughs> exactly. We actually have a real treat. We have another cannabinoid today which is fantastic. <laughs> we have the founder, chief medical officer, cannabis family medicine physician at the CED Foundation and the CED Clinic. He's a chief medical officer at Solo Sciences as well. He's in several publications like Medical Marijuana for Chronic Pain from the New England Journal of Medicine. And he has also received numerous honors and awards as keynote speakers in the professional medical community around the country. He also donates his time and energy into publishing his articles and research about cannabis to the public. Healthcare consulting, nonprofit consulting, education consulting, etc. And he is all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. We have Dr. Benjamin Kaplan. Kaplan, Kaplan yeah, hey, thanks. Um, <laughs> Kaplan, how's it going today? Thank you for joining us. Um, things are great, great, as long as we haven't put your audience to sleep with the introduction. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm definitely all over the map, but I think it's a tough... Um, new field for us, um, cannabis medicine, and, and um, I want to make sure that the public has as much as they can to understand um, as we move into really changing times. What's one fascinating thing about you that not many people would know? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's a good one. I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm a regular family doctor, uh, board certified, licensed, registered, the usual kind of, I guess, boring primary care. Um, but I wasn't always that, um, before my interest in medicine, um, I was a dedicated musician. Um, I've been a cellist for over 30 years. Um, really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did I you, was, 
Did you start in uh, high school? When did you start that? Um, I was probably six or seven years old. Um, oh, super, wow. super young. I mean, I come from a musical family, but, um, but cello, when I first um, answered my mother in, in our kitchen about what interest in, uh, inter- instrument I wanted to play, um, she, I had told her I wanted to play cello. Um, I actually had a flute in mind. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that's, a diff- no that's a big difference and, right there. <laughs> totally. And, and of course, you brought this big wooden thing and, okay, I guess I'll go with it. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I know I proceeded to, to play cello in, in um, sort of solo art and among small chamber groups and in orchestras. Um, and I traveled the world with it. Really? Do you have any recordings? And, yeah. Yeah. It came to be um, a really big part of my life. Oh, wow. Where, where have you traveled? I'm just curious. Um, I've been to Brazil and Mexico and Sweden, Finland, um, Australia, um, Israel. Yeah. Sort of all around. Well, I'm a fellow musician too. It's, it's really fun. (laughs) I don't play cello. The highlight of my career was, um, actually as a, as a 12 year old, um, I got to perform in a masterclass with Yo-Yo Ma. Really? Um, Yeah. It was, I mean, a, a supreme honor. Um, what got you into the medical field, specifically cannabis? I didn't know very much about it. Um, and everything I'd learned growing up is, is more or less that this was a stepping stone to crack and heroin and death, um, including through medical school. It was, it's really treated as, as a source of addiction and, and problematic interference with every other kind of healthcare um, tool. But then as a primary care doctor, I would, I would hear patients tell me about their experiences with cannabis in a very positive light. Like, Hey, this was helping my pain or, Oh my gosh, I used to have um, terrible gout that I couldn't control and, and the cannabis lotions were doing the trick. Oh, okay. And I was kind of looking dumbfounded at, at these people thinking how awesome this is that they're finding relief. Like really nothing I have um, to treat anxiety is, is a slam dunk for everybody. Um, and certainly not that's you know pleasurable instead of taking a bunch of pills every day. Right. Um, but here, here I have these patients who are finding success and I don't know anything about this. And that felt that felt like I was doing a disservice to my patients as, as a poorly informed doctor. Um, so I took it on myself to learn more. Um, and that, that really helped me dive full in. Founders such as yourself have questions and problems uh, when they're trying to find some or found something before that, you know. So what were some um, questions that you were trying to answer when you were starting the, the CED Foundation and the clinic? Or great, for, that's a great point. Well, um, first of all, uh, CED is that is that cannabis education? Am I right in that? It's a good question. So I set it up as a um, as a acronym um, and pronounced seed. Actually, there's a macron over the e, um, and the idea was sort of to be a double entendre that that it's a seed of of information. Um, but the C, E, and D stand for something which I leave open to the audience to interpret. Um, I've heard some interesting. Variations. Um, it's nowhere published um, because I sort of like stimulating that creativity in, in an audience. I think it can mean different things to different people. So, what does it mean to you? Well, I've heard I've heard for variations that it's like um, you know chronic endocannabinoid deficiency. I've heard um, cannabis and education. I've heard um, all kinds of different things. Um, for me, it's it's really a fountain that's starting to water the industry with information. Um, okay. You know, we, we have a culture now that is really bereft of guidance and useful understanding of cannabis. 
um, oh, on yeah. almost every level. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. The industry is producing um, products which are super limited and, and a fraction of what cannabis has to be able to be produced. Mm. Um, patients are informed, are largely mis- totally misinformed about their choices and what it can do for them. There's just a bath of, of information that we all kind of have been soaking in. Uh-huh. Um, so for me, it was, an, it was a chance to try to help educate people so they can make better well-informed choices. Yes. Totally. We, we need I, more of that. Yeah, because there's a lack of uh, education. I see it growing more and more every day, but there's still that stigma. And even when education arises, such as uh, information comes out, sometimes that misinformation is misguided or even misinformation at some point, mm-hmm. at some points. So back to my original, um, what were some, what were the questions that you had when trying to answer like, well, I need to start this seed foundation, the clinic. I mean, the, the, it, there's so many questions that it's really more, it's more fundamental. Like, like how can I, how can I educate doctors to be able to understand and receive and sort of step out of their molds to embrace cannabis learning? Mm-hmm. How can I, um, how can I make sure that people have access to, to that education, even if the doctors aren't providing it? Um, I, I just saw this huge hole um, and even the information which is out there um, is not all good and people need to be able to see that and to, to look critically at the cannabis industry um, and to be able to encourage dispensaries to produce the products they want. And none of this stuff can happen if there isn't good information out there. Yeah, absolutely. The prohibition it just mm-hmm. kind of set everything back and now we kind of have to start over, don't we, at square right. one? Exactly. 1% of doctors in your uh, in your circle recognize cannabis as a medicine or actually lobby for cannabis medicinally? Oh, that's a good question. I think, I mean, the number is small. I'm probably 1% to 5% of, of all doctors. I think it, it, it varies by region. To some extent, unfortunately, political views and their upbringing um, but primarily how, how informed they are. Um, as with any situation, there, there are smart people um, who are knowledgeable with respect to like what we call crystallized knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they might read and study very hard. They can memorize facts relatively easily. A mastery of things that are known and, and pre, pre-digested, mm-hmm. um, if you will. And then there are people who are more, you know, more wise or have fluid intelligence where they can easily adapt to, to a changing information environment or new information that doesn't fit the old mold. Um, Being open. You know, the emergence change. of cannabis medicine has really required this last group, um, that you have to be able to look critically at the industry of medicine and to see, you know, we all kind of know that the system is broken and some of it is, well, my doctor doesn't pay attention to me or I don't want to take pills or, you know, why is this not looking at every aspect of my life and just focused on one. Uh-huh. Um, and I think cannabis is like a perfect puzzle piece for what is broken about our medicine these uh-huh. days. You know, it's something where the patient is empowered with the choices. Um, the doctor is there to guide the patient and, and to inform them about the science of cannabis, the chemistry of cannabis, and, and how to make it accessible to their concerns 
personally. It's not a one, one pill fits, fits all. Well, as far as big pharma is concerned, um, and I, I don't know all the ins and outs of pharmaceutical companies and them talking to doctors and trying to, to sell their product like any business would. So could you explain that? Like how inundated is uh, the medical society and doctors with uh, big pharmaceutical companies coming to them and trying to, to get their products to them to sell to their patients? I'm glad that you asked because it's not it's 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 really poorly understood by non clinicians, um, by by people not in the industry. Uh-huh. Um, big pharma is not knocking on doctors' doors anymore. Okay. Um, there used to be a time where you know they would pay for free lunches and show you their new drug, um, and they teach you about it. Um, but they're not like generally they're not pressuring doctors to do anything. Um, there's some psychology behind, well, if the doctor has seen that pill, they're more likely to, to recommend that one versus the five others that might be in that same category. Mm-hmm. Um, but there isn't like gun to the head, you know, someone telling the doctor what to prescribe. Okay. Um, the story changed a little bit around the opioid epidemic where, you know, there was a little bit more personal pressure for doctors and they were, they were making much more money, um, you know, pulling out pills and, and becoming pill mills. Um, but that's, that's really not the, the main story. Okay. Um, 90% of the time doctors, um, get to make their decisions about what they want to recommend or prescribe completely independently. Okay. Um, there's, there's really, it's just what they happen to study, um, what their mentors happen to, to provide for their patients, um, that they, that they learn from, mm-hmm. um, or hopefully what their patients are teaching them is working. Um, you know, but within any specific illness, like say high blood pressure, um, there's a very limited number of medications. Um, well, it's very limited for a doctor, but it might be say 20 medications for a particular condition. Within those 20 medicines, half of them aren't going to be appropriate because they have other effects that that this patient doesn't want. Right. And then among that half, some of them are just to be taken in a way that's that's uncomfortable for that patient. So, so actually the numbers of choices for medicines are pretty small. Okay. Um, interesting. And in that situation, you know, if, if someone has say an attention deficit disorder, I'm going to be thinking about four or five medicines. It's really not that many. Um, and the fact that maybe one of the manufacturers came to me about their medicine doesn't really play a part in my decision. Okay. Um, I'm focused on the patient in front of me and thinking about what their needs are, not like, you know, what the pharmaceutical cares about. That's interesting because I know I, I might get this wrong, but I know in the U S here, and I think the other country is New Zealand are the only two countries that actually allow pharmaceutical ads on television, you know, where they have, you know, this will help with this. And Ask then 75, <laughs> per, 75% of the commercial is just all the side effects that you're going to get. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I think I don't see how those are really useful, honestly. I mean, it's one of those weird loopholes, I think, that the company thinks it's wise to advertise, but the doctors aren't really paying attention. The patients are maybe paying attention, Mm -hmm. um, but not understanding most of it. I think probably the scenario where those are useful is, you know, patients maybe see something that is appropriate for them, and they then bring that to their doctor asking about it, and the doctor is then compelled to learn about it. because there are lots of new developments in, in pharmaceutical medicine and doctors have to keep updating their knowledge to be able to 
engage with patients who are learning these things. But largely, they don't influence. Um, they don't. They don't move the needle very much. Um, generally, doctors have been prescribing the same medicines for for decades. Um, meaning, a doctor and their mentor have been recommending certain medications because they're tried and true over time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when you say mentor, of, who who would be the doctor's mentor? Just the yeah. predecessor. Of- well, in 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 medical school, a lot of the education is is um, book learning and to some extent, clinical experience with a team. Um, but residency, internship and residency is the next stage in medical education, which is really hands-on where the doctor has a license, is able to see patients under the guidance of someone who's more experienced okay. um, so that they learn kind of what's appropriate in certain situations by practice um, under supervision. Mm-hmm. And then once they show that they're able, able to, to perform those duties independently, they become what's called an attending position or, or a, a mentor themselves. So it's just a, a pass on of information and all that we've known. We can go back to cannabis. You know, it's been, we've had this dark ages for the past 80 years or so. And so what I'm trying to say is these doctors that pass on their knowledge, that's all they know of is the quote unquote, for lack of a better term, the pharmaceuticals to help fix a problem, generally speaking. Right. Right. No, it's true. And so in the, in the cannabis world, there are no Jedi masters and there are no apprentices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we're really starting from scratch. I don't know. It sounds like from what I see what you're doing, it sounds like you might be the Jedi master here. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very much an apprentice and, and trying to scramble to learn as much as I can. I mean, there are, there are old texts if we want to pull the uh, analogy full. Um, and I'm reading all the old texts and I'm trying to see what my patients are teaching me. Um, but I'm actually, I'm fortunate because I've, I've immersed myself, um, you know, what I bring to the table is really a lot of, um, experience with a massive number of patients. Um, I was able to supervise, um, close to 300,000 patients at, at one of my first jobs for a couple of years. Oh, wow. And then I started my own clinic and I have, you know, I have this living lab of, of, you know, over 10,000 patients. Um, and and those 10,000 patients are, are are they all on some kind of cannabis, um, regime for whatever illness they have? There's a range. There are people who are, there are people who, you know, kind of have gone off of it because they didn't like something. And then, you know, I'm, I'm learning from all of these scenarios and, and that helps me, um, not be kind of trained in a certain way. Like, Oh, all these people are on a certain dose of this, or it's kind of, everything is all over the map. And it's up to me to put that all together and to make sense of it. What are some roadblocks that you currently see um, in the cannabis industry as far as legalization, stigmas, even within your patients, um, farm to shelf, consumers? What are, what are some major roadblocks that you see as a doctor, as a physician? Oh, there are many. I think stigma is its own category of, of impediment. I think, you know, we, most of us grew up with mis, misinformed ideas about cannabis and we think you know, like someone who does cannabis does drugs and they, they have all these bad qualities. Um, and that's really a disservice to people who, you know, who, who are just trying to help themselves. And, and, you know, like for some reason it's okay in our culture that people go to work and they might be stressed out or they haven't slept in a week uh-huh. or you know, they're grumpy. That's, that scenario is okay. But if they're giggly and smiley and happy that's kind of weird. And, and that seems out of place. You know, we've, we've sort of ingrained ourselves in this really backwards idea. Um, you know, the cannabis culture is largely a sense of community and people kind of embracing one another. Um, and, and you don't see the kind of anger that you do in a, in a culture that's 
really filled with alcohol and, and that sort of um, chemical problems, honestly, that, yeah. that, that alcohol causes. Cannabis being a neuroprotectant and alcohol being the total opposite of that, where it kind of degenerates brain cells. Yeah, brain it destroys. Cells. Yeah. So it's, it's quite interesting putting those into a, a contrast like that. But as far as I, I know, one of the roadblocks um, is uh, the FDA and them trying to get all their stuff together and get the right testing. And they're all about the analytical data, not necessarily individual patients who have a good story about mm. using cannabis and it helping them. But uh, taking that all out, I know in the industry of CBD and even cannabis that and even products on the market, uh, companies can't really say this is going to help cure cancer. Uh, in your opinion, have you seen anything? Uh, and I'm sure you have like cannabis as far as even curing cancer, cancer, you said that you've seen a cure gout or help with gout and other things like that. What are, what are other things that you've really, uh, were even surprising that you saw cannabis helping out with? in your patients. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that's a long, long list. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, no, it's great. It, and and that's, that's, that's what's I think driving some of my passion is that I'm seeing patients who, who come back and, and hug me crying that they can't believe their endometriosis. This is something women suffer with. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's uh, that for, uterine, for some people that don't know what end, endometriosis yeah, or people like me who can't pronounce anything. <laughs> uterine tissue that, you know, women are, are generally born with uterus tissue that's in their uterus, but sometimes as um, the body's forming, some of that endometrial tissue, it's called, their uterine tissue grows outside of the uterus so that whenever they have um, a period, instead of just the uterus inflaming with extra blood, some of these tissues that have landed outside their uterus also fill with blood and it's exquisitely painful yep. and, and sort of completely debilitating and it's, it's really agonizing. Um, and to have something like a cream or in some cases, a suppository of cannabis, give them relief and, and peace of mind and be able to function is, is like miraculous. Yeah. Um, and, the, and, and, and things ranging from, from headaches to depression to anxiety to um, skin, skin issues, um, eczema and, and psoriasis are also debilitating for people. And, and the treatments we have now are actually drying um, steroid creams, but cannabis can be hydrating and make the, make the uh, rashes go away. Um, so there's just so many things that are um, incredibly helpful for people and, and totally off the radar for modern medicine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to I go back, actually. You know, one of the things that we talked about, where you mentioned about the FDA, um, I don't think it's actually such a big problem. I think it's an interesting irony. Um, right now, in order for medicines to be approved, they have to have, you know, very minimal ingredients and very well studied. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually what makes cannabis work well is that it's a multitude of different compounds inside cannabis, which work in concert, which work synergistically mm-hmm. that makes it have the brilliant effects that it does. Um, so actually just the, the sheer nature of our system is, is the opposite of what makes cannabis work well. Uh-huh. Um, and what that means is really that the pharmaceutical industry at least for a while, is not going to be able to compete with what nature is producing. Mm-hmm. Right. And no matter how, how hard pharmaceutical companies try to narrow down which kind of three molecules might be together mm-hmm. and, and create a wonderful scenario, it's still not holding a candle to what the plant naturally produces in someone's backyard. Right. You have stuff like Marinol, Sativex, um, 
I forgot the CB. Yeah, yeah, all, yeah, Abidiolex. Um, that's all synthetic, right? And right. that brings me to my next question: With all the cannab- uh, can- cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, all the natural compounds you do find in cannabis, um, would you say that the more natural compounds you have in a plant, the better, as opposed to just extracting? Uh, a few, a some, or even just an isolate? It's a dense question. I think there's so many nuances inside of it. I think I think the root of the question is, are natural things like plant-made better than man-made or synthetic things? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer is, is not really. Um, when It doesn't matter where the molecule is born from, whether it's born out of a, a plant and, and the plant's enzymes or it's born out of a machine producing that same exact molecule, um, the molecule is still going to work well. Um, what's more relevant, what's more, more important for someone's well-being and, and the effects is which compounds, which, which um, company of compounds. So it, you know, it's not just one molecule, it's, it's three or four together. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding which of those combinations um, is most helpful. Um, to the you know, the industry right now, the CBD industry is legally required to have a very narrow spectrum of choices. It must be more than, um, I guess it's 99.97% CBD. Uh-huh. You can't have more than 0.03% um, THC. Right. Uh, that is, by definition, less effective than if it had, say, 1%. THC or 1% CBD or, or any of the other cannabinoids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what in your opinion makes it that way? Cause I mean, I, I would agree with that, but I don't know the reason behind it necessarily. So the question is why? Yeah. What's the reason that I guess if you could explain it, why, you know, just having that extra bit of THC would be, would make the product more effective. Well, the easy answer is nobody really knows, but the more nuanced answer is, um, is probably related to, um, I guess what I would call the, um, the whack-a-mole effect. Okay. <laughs> I love that game. <laughs> in, your, in your brain, um, you, have, you have molecules which bind to receptors. Um, mm-hmm. And when they connect with those receptors, when there's a match, um, there's a natural process of evaluating whether that is a good amount or not enough or too much. And if there's too much, if someone is whack a moling, mm-hmm. um, hitting the moles um, too much, basically these receptors start going away and they don't come back. It's as if the body's adapting to okay, we know that there's a lot of THC there or or some other compound, and it's it's too much. It's overstimulating. Okay. So the body naturally kind of accommodates to that scenario and stops stops sending out as many receptors. All right. So if you have I guess a big hammer and a little hammer, maybe the little hammer is going to miss some of those receptors enough of the time that you're going to have a better long-term effect or a better effect overall uh-huh. um, is by that, having a mixture of mallets. Right. Is that kind of like a tolerance that you're talking about? Tolerance is, is, tolerance is related, um, but a little bit different. Um, I guess, I guess the, the, the whack-a-mole analogy works for tolerance too. Um, but because cannabinoids are stored in fat cells, mm-hmm. um, there's also a process of reverse tolerance happening at the same time. Meaning, if you're consuming 
cannabinoids, they're soaking into your fat cells and, and, and hanging out there for a couple weeks. Um, right. So even when you're not consuming cannabis actively, your body's still releasing some cannabinoids. Do you need like a, a certain time? Um, so I could take one or, or just one dosing of a CBD tincture or a full plant product or something like that. Uh, do I need to, so if I just take it once, the obviously that's not going to have the same efficacy as taking it for a week and then stopping as far as it being still in your system, right? Right. And actually that's an example of where the fat cells are sort of acting like a sponge and they absorb some of the cannabinoids in a way, if you want to think about it this way, um, where the, the end effect is not going to be as, as, um, as successful. Um, over time, we build up um, fat cells full of these cannabinoids and they're releasing kind of a, an extra amount and the body's sort of storing enough that it releases over time. You have um, an efficacy, you have a successfulness, which is, which is vastly improved. Um, there are some people actually who are sensitive enough that one, one um, administration of a, of a cannabis medicine works. But by and large, we see much more that people over time, after a week or two, are feeling better results. So, as you all know, we are cannabinoids, and that means we absolutely love bringing the cannabis industry to your ears and all of the details that come with that. But we also love your partnership and support. A lot of work goes into creating each episode and keeping it free for everybody. You can support Cannabinerds continuing to do that by becoming a Patreon. Becoming a Patreon for Cannabinerds comes with several perks like ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, and even some sweet Cannabinerds t-shirts and hats. To become a Patreon, head over to CannabinerdsPodcast.com. Click on the Patreon button. It's that easy. It's been amazing being a part of Cannabinerds, so we invite you to join us so you can be a Cannabinerd too. So what are you passionate about working on at the moment? What's Do you have any current projects that you're working on right now that... So many projects, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's like my house. I have so many projects I need to do. It's yeah. almost overwhelming. Like, I know I have to yeah. go fix our septic system here in a minute. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess I have to, I, I feel a duty to fix the septic, septic system of the cannabis industry. Yes. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> in the sense that, you know, I, I, there's a huge need for, for things to get better. Um, and to have people in power, um, knowing, meaning the people in power, not the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really want to reach more people. Um, I want to make sure that people have been, um, abused by the system and, and have been underserved really have a, a place of, of fair treatment and have their fair shot. And even being um, heard too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, to that end, I started one of my clinics, I started, that's all women. Um, it's managed, it's organized, it's run just by women. Um, and you know, they're, they're it's uproariously successful. Everybody loves them. Um, they're, you know, doing incredibly well. Um, but I think it's really important to, to make sure that you know, women are treated the way that men are treated. Yeah. Um, and I think the same is true of, of, um, racism. You know, one of the problems, with the start of all of this, this um, hogwash about cannabis and and its and its um, and its beginning was was about a racist agenda in the '30s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Henry Anslinger. And, yeah, for sure. 
Antler and William Randolph Hearst. Um, yeah. And, and it's important, I think, for those of us who are socially conscious to, to make an effort to fix that and to make it clear that, um, you know, white men need not run the whole world. I right. Think we have, you know, we have enough of that um, and we can do something different with cannabis. I saw a conference that you're doing soon online. Uh, do you want to explain more about uh, the, con- the different conferences you do? Is that what you're doing, like raising awareness or bringing more scientific evidence to the medical community as far as cannabis? Sure. I mean, I, I take a pretty wide um, net for, for conferences. Um, I've done academic conferences. I've done financial conferences for, for folks who are interested in, in where the investment opportunities are. Um, okay. I've done... I've done harvest cups where, you know, it's mostly people who enjoy the cannabis for, for pleasure and it's not really medicinal and they, they're more curious about other aspects of the industry. So I think a lot of people have questions um, and I feel like I'm acting a little bit like a translator, you know, translating what my patients are teaching me and what the, what the literature is teaching me um, so that people can have their questions answered. Um, I mean, I do, I do a lot of prepared work too, but my favorite part of conferences is really the questions and answers because people come and they want to have their views their questions um, dissected and, and explained. Um, I think that's more fun for people to see than um, sort of pre-digested PowerPoints. This next one is in the Boston, Massachusetts area, I think. And is it open to the public? And if people are listening and want to go, do they have that opportunity? Oh, I think you're referring to our seminar. The um, seminar. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's Words. okay. I do conferences as well. But we, my clinic um, puts on a lot of seminars where, you know, we have bite-sized topics that seem like they will interest people. Um, the conference upcoming is basically what have people found useful about their cannabis use um, and what have they struggled with? You know, I, I can't tell you how many people, you know, have bought a vaporizer oven and it's sitting on the shelf because they don't know how to use it or they don't know what temperature means and why it's relevant to their cannabis consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other people are curious about how to make their own products. Um, and they, you know, they're frustrated paying prices at dispensaries that are, exorbitant yeah and but it's actually quite easy to make your own lotion it's, it's easy to make your own tinctures or even your own capsules um so we want people to have access to that kind of opportunity where they can really master their own and be their their own driver in, in their experience is that something that could be uh or is televised or over the radio over the internet Anything like that so people that are listening now could be a part of that? I haven't found a way to do that, which is also not making some people uncomfortable. Okay, um, yeah, oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because cannabis is so stigmatized and people yes. don't want and, you know, their, their face associated with cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough thing to, to be able to publicize. Um, I do travel a lot. And you know, for, for folks who are all over the country or even you know, across the globe, um, I'm happy to travel. And I want to make sure that everybody has you know, the equal opportunity, um, as best that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately I can't, I don't want to threaten individuals sort of comfort. Maybe a better question I should have asked is how can someone be a part of this seminar? Mm-hmm. I'm certainly open to invitations to conduct seminars anywhere. Awesome. Um, I'm, I'm also, um, I keep the seminars open door and people that want to come around the area uh, of Massachusetts certainly can. Um, we have clinics that are scattered throughout the state. So if, you know, people are closer to the Western side or the Eastern side, we can host locally, but also, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in figuring out how to make seminars available online. And, you know, the, the, it seems like the technology exists to have, um, kind of a virtual seminar. Um, yeah. and maybe someone 
in your listener in your listener group can can help us with that technology um, because I think people would appreciate it. If there is um one thing you could say to everybody listening now and that would possibly listen to in the future uh, regarding cannabis, the the mantra of why you do what you do, uh, what would that be? I think of cannabis as a super vegetable. Mm. You know, cannabis is a incredible production facility, a natural manufacturing plant mm-hmm. um, for all kinds of compounds that are found elsewhere on earth, um, in vegetation, in fruits, in, um, in trees, even in, in flowers. Um, and I think we as a culture have gotten so enamored with our own power and producing, you know, this molecule or that molecule, which, which helps, you know, this illness or that illness that we've sort of forgotten that nature's been around for a lot longer Mm. and nature has gotten things right far longer than we have. Yeah. And we have, we've spent so much energy sort of pounding our chests, so to speak, that we haven't really looked closely enough. Um, and it's a huge waste. It's a huge shame. Um, and I wish, I wish people would just, you know, just treat nature a little bit more respectfully, I think. Um, and, and, and that covers not just cannabis, obviously it's, 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 um, climate change stuff. It's, uh, deforesting stuff. Yeah. Um, It's a, it's a way of life that you can live naturally, holistically. Uh, it's, it's become so separated, I think, you know, and bringing it all back together and looking at it as one whole thing. Mm hmm nature i think it would be just way more sustainable yeah for sure and you know there's something fascinating about the way cannabis functions in the body physiologically that almost everywhere you find people who consume cannabis they also have the idea that wow the earth is valuable that nature is amazing Mm -hmm. that they have this sort of built-in respect it's almost as if this plant commands people to have respect for nature and to, to see themselves as just a small piece of nature. Yep. Um, it's a really incredible thing that we, we don't understand yet fully. Some wise words from Dr. Ben Kaplan. <laughs> yeah, and we just... <laughs> I'm inspired. <laughs> we're just so grateful for people like you that are out there doing the research and you come from the medical background. So it's I feel like it's even more important you know, to hear this you. from you guys and just also just the research that you're doing and the time you're putting in, I think it's incredible. It's just what we educating. need. Yes. That's what we need right and, now. How can people uh, help? How can they find out more about the foundation that you are the founder of that you're running? How can they help even financially or get involved? Is there any way for them to uh, be a part of something that the great thing that you're doing right now? Thank you. It's very sweet of you to say. I think I'm I'm grateful to to the patients that have sort of opened their hearts and 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 conversations with me. Um, that's really the source of my learning is is people that have have taught me. Um, as far as getting involved, any way people can, I'm I'm um, I'm hungry for help. Um, I wish that there were more people out there who who sort of had had the passion and had the interest and the discipline to to, to do what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sometimes agonizing and frustrating that I feel like uh, there aren't that many. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the for people out there who do want to help, we're we're constantly. I mean, I, I have at least sixteen different projects that I'm trying to help, um, and there's desperate need for for funding. Um, 
and there's there's desperate need for for information. I think there are a lot of people out there who've had great experiences with cannabis or terrible experiences with cannabis, mm-hmm. um, and both. we need to hear about that. Stuff. <laughs> yep. I think people need to voice their experiences so that we can learn. Um, so whether that's you know emailing me um, or emailing the clinic or emailing the foundation or even um, calling us, um, you know we're open ears and we're trying to be as receptive we can to everybody. That's incredible. Where can they go to email you or or find out about or the the foundation? So either seedclinic, cedclinic.com or seedfoundation, cedfoundation.com. Um, and our our email address is info, info at cedfoundation.com. Awesome. Um, and that's that's all comers. We have we have a whole staff that that minds those and makes sure that the appropriate people get the appropriate information and, and you know we'll we'll do our best to answer questions. Um, sometimes people um, overwhelm us with um, personal medical questions, and, and those things are harder to to answer because we don't want to give people um, we don't want to do something incompletely. Um, yes. and we're not gonna you know we're not gonna know everything about someone who's just asking a haphazard question. Right. Um, so it's important to us to really have a complete relationship to understand the full story before we give someone an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not we're not trying to to think we know everything. We're trying to have an individualized matching, um, you know, appropriate answer. Um, so sometimes, you know, small questions are difficult, but we're always happy to have a relationship. And, and sometimes that takes some effort and, and to some, you know, to some extent, some cost. Um, you know, and sometimes that, that, that upsets people. Yeah. Um, you know, we're limited, we're limited staff and we have limited time. So we want to help people, but we, sometimes we have to charge for that. So cannabinoids don't send them pictures of your skin conditions and ask him to diagnose things. But we it would be awesome if you guys, you know, sent out your stories and, you know, asked how you could help. Any data that yeah. you think is valuable. Yeah. <laughs> but let's leave your pictures of your skin conditions for your, to your, your doctor. Yeah, your, your <laughs> practitioner. <laughs> so if people want to find Dr. Ben Kaplan, where can they go? Um, social media is is one of the ways that we're reaching out to everybody. Um, I try to do a little bit of translation for the medical literature that comes out. I try to point people to the news that um, is revolutionizing cannabis. Um, my Twitter handle is at Dr. Kaplan. So it's at D-R-C-A-P-L-A-N. Um, we also have a Facebook page for... Um, Facebook.com slash seed clinic, CED clinic. Um, I have a LinkedIn profile for folks who are sort of on the business networking kind of side. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have an Instagram account, which um, I think is Dr. Benjamin Kaplan, MD. Um, but anybody who's interested in, in reaching out, probably Twitter is the best place. Yeah. And you yes. do put out some great articles. It's definitely informative about where things are going. And it's a great way to keep up with the new stuff you're discovering. And finding so we definitely encourage everyone to i can totally speak to that i've been um inundated with all the papers and research you've done and put out on linkedin um it's it's at the point like i don't even know where to start at some point Mm -hmm. if i want to find something there's just so much good information out there so i would highly encourage anybody to go check that out any articles that you put out ben are just fantastic and they're actually um they're not too complicated as far as medical papers go. It's actually really easy to understand, which is fantastic. So I would encourage anybody to go check that out. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Ben. I really appreciate the time that you've taken out of your really hectic, busy schedule with all the, the foundation and all the different um, projects, projects that you're, <laughs> you have your hand in. 
uh, I am really grateful for it. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us uh, humble nerds. <laughs> thank you, David. I appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we can do this again soon. This was really fun. Yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you so much to Dr. Ben Kaplan for bestowing your knowledge on the cannabis industry and the medical field to us humble cannabinoids. You have been listening to Cannabinoids, learning all the social, political, and scientific ins and outs of cannabis. If you enjoy what you're listening to, rate us five stars and write a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. That helps us out so much. As always, you can follow us everywhere at Pod. Or if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to CannabinerdsPodcast.com. I'm David reminding you to stay safe and take care of each other. Thank you for listening.